And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a great weekend. Uh, yeah, great show today. I was joined by my good buddy, uh, Remzo Martinez, uh, author of the brand new book coming out later this month, uh, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Uh, can't wait to read it. Sounds like a, a very entertaining book. So, uh, yeah, we, we talked about a lot of a lot of stuff, covered a lot of ground. Talked about, you know, buying Greenland. <laughs> um, talked about... Uh, Never Trump Republicans desperately trying to find somebody to primary the president. And we would talk about all kinds of stuff. So uh, yeah. before I get to Remzo, guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. Please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Uh, if you want to get involved and support the show, we are on Patreon. Check us out at patreon.com slash Podcast. You can support us monthly in the school incentives if you choose to do so. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Remzo Martinez. All right, guys, we're here with my good friend Remzo Martinez, author of the brand new book coming out later this month, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Remzo, my brother, how you doing, man? Brady, I cannot complain, and if I was any better, I would be you. Well, you know, we can't all be me, but uh, being you seems pretty close, so... Uh, good to go, man. Good on you. <laughs> Thank, so, dude, I'm, anytime, brother. And look, I'm excited today, man. I'm I'm pretty excited because President Donald Trump is about to buy Greenland. Uh, your thoughts? As someone that has been to its greener neighbor, Iceland, uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. You know, you've got beautiful Nordic women, lots of virgin land, and uh, you know, I. <laughs> I think we can get a good trade for Puerto Rico. You know, I'm thinking we'll go for GameStop value, so the entire island with the populace, maybe 15 bucks. Yeah. I mean, look, the whole island was destroyed by a hurricane. So, I mean, look, you are Puerto Rican, so I, I, it's funny that you're throwing your own people under the bus like that, but I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree. Well, in my defense, I'm also all for getting rid of the states of Oklahoma and California. Yeah, that's and fair. These- Stays New York, so you know I'm I'm kind of an equal opportunist. I mean, look, I don't know who would be against buying Greenland. I mean, I can't imagine it's very expensive. Like I know, uh, like Harry Truman tried to buy Greenland for like fifty million bucks or something back in in the late '40s, and I don't know why it didn't happen. They should have just gave it up. But look, I mean, Greenland, you know, like I'm sure there's a bunch of oil up there, right, under all that snow and. There's they have a lot of like delicious fish you can catch and. Well, I mean, you know, you the know. thing is, like Greenland is basically like it's all ice and iceland is all green really so i mean i think we could make a lot of money just off tourism alone i mean look and if you're worried that like you know like aoc that the the sun monster is going to destroy the earth in 12 years or whatever i think it's well maybe isn't down to 10 years now time on the left it's not it's you know it's all it's all subjective it's all relative yeah yeah time that that's subjective issue of time itself but i mean why wouldn't you want like a giant glacier then i mean wouldn't you want like if like 
it's 150 degrees in the continental United States, wouldn't we all want to move to Greenland where it's like, you know, be like 65 and sunny all the time at that point? Like, it seems like a win-win. I I mean, because it's such an obvious, smart answer, they'll obviously say no. Because Orange Man bad. Orange Man can't buy Greenland. It's Ah, also ah. a very strategic position if we ever wanted to bomb Canada. And that's definitely important to me. So, you know, we could definitely destroy the Mounties pretty quick, launching an offensive from Greenland. You know, it's just the little things like that, which really do let me know that our president is playing 40 chess. Mm -hmm. Because no one else is considering the threat of the Canadian menace. No. I mean, it's right there. They're on our shores. They're on our northern border. We don't. We don't. We don't even have a wall, and no. no one's talking about it. That's why I think that Trump is weak on immigration. We do need a wall between here and Canada. My brother uh, accidentally drove into Canada a while ago, a few months ago, like literally by accident. That's how easy it is to to get in and out of Canada from the United States. Literally, he he played a show. He's a comedian. He had a show in Detroit, and he like was completely out of gas. And so he couldn't make it all the way back to Toledo. And it was in the middle of, like, a blizzard, and he couldn't see shit. So he just turned on his phone and said, like, get me to the nearest gas station. And the GPS just took him into Canada. Like, he just drove past border <laughs> control, got gas in Canada, and then came back over the bridge. He had no idea he was in Canada. Like, he actually went over the bridge to Windsor from Detroit. And coming back, he just met American border control. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I just got gas. He's like you're, like you're in Canada. Like he doesn't have a passport or anything. He was just in Canada. And they're like, what the what the hell are you doing? How'd you get into Canada? And he was like, I was just finding a gas station, bro. And they're like, all right, well, I mean, all right, well, free to go. Yeah, it's not like so any anyway. Water hashtag happens. build the wall. <laughs> definitely, Absolutely. definitely build the wall. You know, I, I had I had an incident like that one time. I was on a metro train here in Virginia, and I fell asleep, and then I woke up as the conductor's kicking everyone off the train and then I was like where am I and he's like you're in Baltimore <laughs> <laughs> it's a mistake yeah, I, I'd much mistake. rather be yeah I'd much rather accidentally go into Canada than wake up in Baltimore yeah it's much safer much safer in Windsor than it is Baltimore so alright you know Greenland's fine let's, let's talk about some real news though um, let's talk about a little bit of real news uh, look the never Trump Republicans in the last couple months have been desperately trying to find a primary challenger to Donald Trump in 2020. George Will, the longtime conservative columnist over at Washington Post, um, somebody who I do respect, you know, somewhat, um, wrote a piece over the weekend uh, saying gonna, that we're Repo- putting asterisks on that. Did okay. respect. Did respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like George Will, like George Will, there's levels to never Trump, you know, like Bill Crystal is just the worst. Yeah, I mean, he's the worst because he's, like, the world's biggest neocon, but he's also the worst because, like, people don't even know that he's a conservative. Like, he doesn't even say conservative things. Like, he basically sounds like a communist at this point because he hates Trump oh, so oh, much. Oh, him and Max and, like, Boot, like, I can't tell whether or not they're leaning towards or just at the point where they're into full-on Marxism and international socialism. Right, like, I, but I, I never viewed George Will as that bad. Like, I don't, I don't think he had, like, TDS as bad as Bill Crystal or, or Max Boot. Maybe I'm wrong. So he, he wrote a piece over the weekend saying that Republicans don't have a binary choice in presidential elections, citing Justin Amash, who left the Republican Party and all that. And he's, so he's praising Amash. This is 
a huge hypocrite move from George Will because he's like an establishment GOP guy. And like, I, I highly doubt George Will was a big fan of Justin Amash and the Freedom Caucus as they were a giant pain in the ass to the GOP for the last, you know, six or seven years. So it's like, come on, man. Like, I'm sure he blasted Justin Amash for being a libertarian. And now he's, you know, praising him and stuff just because he's mouthing off about Trump. It's like, come on, man. Give me a break. You know, I will I will disagree with you to a certain extent. I do know that he had problems with the Freedom Caucus to a certain point. I know in 2017, when my old boss, Congressman Tom Garrett from Virginia, uh, joined the Freedom Caucus immediately, he helped, you know, basically push the lead with Mark Meadows and a few other people to stop Ryan Care, which is basically Obamacare light. And during, right. during that time, George Will did praise the Freedom Caucus. And before that, in 2013, during the governor's race here in Virginia, he also endorsed Robert Sarvis, who's the Libertarian Party candidate over Ken Cuccinelli, who he thought was a bit of a police state guy, even though Cuccinelli was, you know, suing the NSA and stuff. It's like he wanted he wanted to say that he was a civil libertarian when it came to the federal government, but when it came to the state of Virginia, he was all police state. So George Will has kind of gone all over the place, but I do agree to a certain point that, um, you know, he has shown a bit of a hypocritical stance on recent things. I do believe, personally, he has... Trump derangement syndrome, and I will I will stick the claim that he's got Trump derangement syndrome to the extreme because in the 2018 midterms he told people to go out and vote Democrat. Right, right. He, he hates I, I, he I, hates one man so much he's willing to forsake in the rest of the country, and that's what I really can't stand about a lot of, of America's you know conservative pundit class to begin with because they're willing to literally die on every hill instead right, of you know right. Uh, understanding what's actually going on in everyday people's lives. If you're saying that Trump is bad for America, um, you know, I, I could take you issue by issue. He's not great on, on many things. He's not great on, you know, the deficit. But when it comes to the main stuff, taxes, civil liberties, states' rights, you know, actually keeping the government under check, like he's done far more good than anybody in my lifetime. So, you know, don't, don't, you know, press the press like the self destruct button over every little freaking thing. Yeah, I totally agree. And honestly, I agree with you that he's done a better job than any president in my lifetime. I, well, I was born literally like one week after Ronald Reagan left office, so I guess that's technically true. If I was born a week earlier, I guess it wouldn't be true. But uh, yeah, I guess I can't agree with you there. Uh, technically, I was I, I was, uh, I was a Clinton baby, so I can't say much. Oh, ironically, like with Bush and Obama, they make Clinton look conservative. Oh, so yeah. it's just it's just really like the bar is low. The bar is very low. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, man, like I, I'm obviously more of a libertarian than anything else. Like everybody who's ever listened to one episode of the show knows that. But I did vote for Trump and I'm going to vote for him again next year because I, I completely disagree with George Will. I completely disagree with everybody that says this, which is kind of like the consensus in the pundit class that, you know, presidential elections are not a binary choice. Yeah, they are. They absolutely are. Like, uh, I mean, a presidential election ago, is a binary yeah, choice. Two, two years ago, I would have, well, now four, three, four years ago, I would have disagreed with you 100%. I didn't vote for Trump in 2016, <laughs> but I'm planning on voting for him in 2020 because, you know, as and someone's going to yell at me because of this, but, you know, it comes down to this. Promises made, promises kept. He just now declared 
declared China a currency manipulator. Like, on top of everything else, like, he's he's remembering the little stuff. I was angry during his first year that he didn't call China a currency manipulator. Now he has. Did he have to do it? No. Was anyone talking about that? No, unless you were a big, you know, economist nut job like me. But, like, he, he on the major points of his platform, he has met all of that. And we're better because of it. So why would I not do that? Who are the libertarians going to put up? I, I've interviewed several of the libertarian candidates. Nice people, but I'm not going to waste my time. I'm in a battleground state. Right. You know, I'm, I'm a member of the – I'm a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party nationally, but I'm a Virginia Republican. Right. Like, that, you know, that was my point. Like, I wasn't even getting into Trump's record, and I do think he has done enough. Um, to you know, to earn re-election anyway. I mean, even if there was like a viable third party or something like that, I think Trump's done enough to earn uh, a second term. But I mean, like, I'm I'm an Ohioan man. Like, <laughs> I mean, I I view you every guys election as a president. Well, yeah, we we pick the president. Like Ohio's picked the president every four years since the late 1800s. I mean, we're the bellwether state for a reason. Um, and like maybe that's why I've always viewed elections as binary. Because, I mean, well, Trump won Ohio by nine points, which is crazy. But usually, you know, the, the president wins Ohio by like a point, a point and a half, something like that. Um, and yeah. so, like, growing up in the Bellwether state, like, yes, I view elections as binary. And, like, it's, it is, though. Like, I, I don't understand how people get away with, like, trying to convince voters that they don't have a binary choice. Fuck that. Yes, I, uh, they do. Of, of course yeah, I mean, they do. I, I like, had, by definition. I, I, I agree when it comes to the presidential election, maybe now more so than previously, uh, right. I'm still kind of new to this area in terms of, you know, grasping that as my official stance. But I had a, I had a piece published in the Washington times two weeks ago, basically just covering bill Weld because apparently bill Weld is still running for president. And I you totally, have a lot I of, honestly forgot that he was doing that. Well, it's okay because most of America has, uh, you know, that, that art, the, the op-ed did very well in terms of, you know, generating conversation. But I think the overall consensus was who is this guy? And if they did know who he was, they'd know he was running for president. And it comes down to the fact that, you know, Bill Weld was uh, interviewed by Now This Politics. And he said, oh, I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to be president. But even the liberal uh, reporter who I actually, I actually commend this guy. I don't remember his name. I mean, now this is a is a left-leaning platform, but I think the reporter who asked him this question, uh, I want to commend him for it because he basically said, do you hate Trump so much you're running in a primary against an incumbent president just to help a Democrat win? That's a very pointed question, and I commend the journalist to uh, ask that because that's what it comes down to. Some of these people hate him so much that that's, you know, they're willing to do that. And in my Bill Weld article, I'm like, listen, he can say all the right things, but if you look at his record, this guy has been bad news since the 90s. Yeah. I mean, you can't trust him. His actions are worse than anything he could say. Yeah, like Bill Weld was like a left-of-center Republican governor. And then he was obviously Gary Johnson's running mate for the Libertarian ticket last time and around, that, which made absolutely no sense. That he's, yeah, now he's running as, uh, his words, not mine, he's running as a New England Republican. Man, conservatives hate no one more than the New England Republicans. Right. Right. <laughs> like conservatives nationally hate New England Republicans because it gives them that whole Romney, uh, Rockefeller type of feeling. They don't want that. So he's running on that. And, you know, he's not even like I, I, I'm I'm very upset with the Libertarian Party nationally because you've got certain members 
of the National Committee and uh, other staffers who were sharing a lot of Justin Amash, Bill Weld articles, basically trying to, you know, incite some uh, curiosity and some excitement. But it's like, you know, these guys will do and say anything. You've got Bill Weld right now saying he wants to give two years free college to anyone that loses their job to automation. It's like, how is that libertarian? These, oh these people goodness. will do and say everything. When it comes to Justin Amash, you know, uh, I think he's an ideological libertarian, but I'm tired of libertarians willing to bend over backwards for him because he's not that into them. He chose to be an independent. He chose not to run for president, and he's running for re-election as an independent. That means he doesn't even like the Libertarian Party. So why are we giving air to these ideas, which are obviously ridiculous? Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And look, like, you know, I might get, I'll get pushback from some people in the audience for saying this, but anybody supporting one of these primary challengers or potential primary challengers, I mean, just look at yourself in the mirror, guys. Like, if you're supporting, if you're trying to get Justin Amash to run for president, which he said he's not going to, or you're supporting Bill Weld or one of these other guys, what's the other congressman or former congressman that's talking about primary and Trump? Uh, uh, Mark Sanford, the former, yeah, Sanford. Uh, yeah, the former governor of South Carolina who ran away to Argentina with his mistress, came back, nice. won re-election as a congressman, and then lost in 2018. What a guy. <laughs> but look, like if you're supporting one of these guys, your goal is for the Democrats to win in 2020. Like it, it is that simple. Like primary challenges to, to sitting presidents are catastrophic if they actually gain traction. And obviously Bill Weld's pulling it like, I don't know if you can pull it less than 0%, but you know, if, if, it, if it's a, that's statistically possible, that's where he's polling. But like, I mean, look, like uh, Ted Kennedy severely damaged Jimmy Carter and Jimmy Carter probably wouldn't have won re-election anyway because he's a terrible president, but uh, Kennedy really damaged him. Same way, uh, um, Freaking Ronald Reagan really damaged Gerald Ford. Not that and Gerald then you Ford would have won. But... who basically lost the election for George Bush. I mean, right. you've got everyone that blames Ross Perot, but Ross Perot was only there for the people that didn't want to vote for Bush regardless. Pat Buchanan actually convinced people not to vote for Bush. Right. Right. And so, I mean, like, history has shown time and time again, anytime there's a credible. You know, and obviously that's there's an asterisk like Bill Weld is not a credible challenge. But anytime there is a credible challenge, it does hurt the incumbent president. But, but and, besides, like, here's the thing, like, I'm not against pro the uh, concept of primarying an incumbent president within your own party, but do so for some legitimate reasons. What are the reasons we're going at? We want to go back to normal. What was normal? Republicans that always conceded to Democrats, Republicans that put up new federal agencies and bus spending and go ahead and you know, basically side of corporations and destroy American jobs. Like, is that what we're doing? Do we want to go back to amnesty Republicans? Like, is that normal? Was that era of good feelings? They're trying to draft a narrative of a time and period that never existed. That never existed. Yes, that's that's perfect way to put it. Yes. I mean, it's just it, it's it's ridiculous. So uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to cover this. I'm, I'm thinking about writing uh, a few things about Mark Sanford, about um you know, some potential third party McMullen like candidates that might come out, because honestly, I think the interesting thing about covering America's third parties and these obscure presidential campaigns is they dive deeper into darker concerns within ourselves. And I think ultimately, while I don't think anyone will have an electoral impact on 2020, ultimately what they always show is what's the bigger conversation afterwards. All of these guys that, you know, well, primary or the run third party, like Evan McMullen. 
is a good example. He turned out just to be a leftist. Yeah, I, I yeah. voted for him in 2016, and that was that is the biggest regret of my life. <laughs> I mean, actually, no, I've made some big ass, like big personal challenges, like you know, big problems. But honestly, it's like in my top five. I'm in Virginia too, so I I really kind of screwed the pooch on that. Well, you know, I guess uh, the world forgives you, forgive and forget, you know. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, like Bill Weld, like McMullen turned out to be a leftist. He, you know, he sold a good bill of goods at the time, and then, you know, Weld. He, I mean, he, he, McMullen is literally going around calling all conservatives, and you know, for just kind of like a sidebar, I think I've been, I, I, and I think I've been becoming less libertarian. I've been becoming more conservative recently, because when I look at the state of things, you know, it, it comes down to this point. Like, it's not a good idea to be in these constant, you know, diplomatic situations where it's just not turning out well. Cut foreign aid, cut diplomatic relations of some countries. Uh, when it comes to, you know, immigration, you know, coming from a border town, I've always had a bit of a right of center stance on that. But, you know, the cartels are running out of control. No one talks about the cartels. Literally, no one talks about the cartels. And when it comes to these deeper philosophical things, you know, we're talking about issues that aren't real. Like, I'm sorry, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm not worried about being shot or bombed by a white supremacist. Right. So all this shit, like, I'm sorry. Are there some concerns? Yeah. But, you know, this isn't like the Ruskies are coming to get you at night type of deal. <laughs> like, let's talk about like, you know, it, it's going to sound trite to an extent, but it's the economy, stupid. Right. Well, I think a lot of libertarians have, uh, like, I've never agreed with, with the libertarians on border security. I've always been for, uh, you know, for closing the border, you know, and, and having a strong border. Um, but I think a lot of libertarians are coming around to that way of thinking, too. Like, you know, even like the anarchists, the minarchists and anarchist libertarians, a lot of them are coming around to, to closing the border because they figured out, like, okay, how could we, I, I mean, how can you have open borders with the world, the state the world is currently? And have a libertarian nation. You know, play devil's advocate. Like growing up, you know, grow, growing up in a border town in the '90s and early 2000s, like we essentially had an open border with Mexico. And even right. uh, my mom grew up in the same hometown as me. Uh, like it was open borders during her her uh, you know from a child up until her early adulthood. And the, the thing was, you know, Americans would go to Mexico on a weekend to shop and go to the restaurants and then they'd come back. And then Mexican laborers, not as many, but enough, would come into the U.S. They had a blue card and a green card. They'd work and then they'd go home. You didn't have this problem. And it was fine. Like, there was really no issue. I don't have a problem with people coming to the U.S. to work. Yeah. Uh, I worked enough dead-end jobs where it was like, wow. Wow, if literally these guys from the Ivory Coast weren't working here and then they go to Dulles Airport to work as a baggage handler, like no one would do the job. So I'm not against people moving around to make money, especially if they can make more money than they can in their own country. And as long as they're paying their reciprocating taxes, honestly, I don't even care if they pay most taxes. Let them keep what they earn. I'm, I'm against people keeping as much money as they earn as possible. So if they want to wiggle around that, that's fine. But, you know, the, the cartels are the biggest problem on the border and literally nobody talks about it i think trump to a certain degree he got a lot of uh southwest states because he was talking about the cartel problems he was willing to declare war on el chapo 
and uh, you know we can get into the drug war and all the other stuff, but you know it's it's a major thing that people have to understand because we're arguing hypotheticals in a world where people are literally getting their heads cut off in Tucson. Right, and like when we have these lax laws, when we don't enforce the border laws, I mean people will like like you said the cartels will eventually start exploiting our weakness and our compassion. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and that's like like you said, you know, growing up it was fine, you know. And I've talked I've heard from a lot of people that have said similar sentiments too, like yeah, like a we didn't really need that strong of a border back in the day, but people always you know when you're a prosperous western country, you know, your neighbors who are not western or prosperous will exploit you. <laughs> they will take advantage of you. It's been happening for a thousand years. So like yeah, you know, e- even then it's like they weren't coming to our hospitals. Like, you know, uh, like 30 percent of Arizona hospitals, general hospitals had to close down. We've had school closures. And it's because you had a lot of people here and they started taking advantage of our public programs, started getting uh, involved in the entitlement state and the welfare state. They didn't used to do that. They worked. They worked and they dealt with it themselves. And they weren't coming here taking from Americans. Like, I think there's a big problem between working and taking. And. You know, I, I think to a certain degree, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm not sounding like I'm conceding something, but it's not even all Mexicans. Like Mexicans, like in Virginia, for example, they really don't do anything in terms of taking advantage of public uh, welfare programs. Right. They might put their kids in schools and, you know, I have a problem with that, but it's not my biggest concern. But other than that, Mexicans here work, and they don't cause a lot of crime. The problem is you have a lot of Guatemalans, you have a lot of Central Americans, you have a lot of people from even South America that are coming in, and they're only coming here to take advantage of the welfare state. They're not even coming here to work. They don't want to work. Right. And, like, and obviously— that's a big difference. Right. And, like, I want— like Actually, secure... I'm pro-Mexico. Like, I, I like Mexico. I want Mexico to do fine. They're, you know, as a native Arizonan and someone that lived in Texas— like you know mexico is good for america but what we didn't do is we ignored a large problem that was growing that we helped contribute to and now other people that don't even share even mexican sentiments of work labor family independence self-sufficiency they're coming here and they're causing problems for everybody right i think i think you're absolutely right and i mean look i i want a secure border and i don't want a welfare state um because i believe the welfare state's evil but you know, obviously, like like everybody says, we repeat this over and over that if you are a statist who wants a, a welfare state, you have to you have to close the border. You can't have both. You can't have open borders and a welfare state. That's insane. I mean, that's like you know, countries cease to exist when you when you do that. You get the the issues that Europe is facing right now. Like you can't have both. You can't open the border and let anybody come in and then let anybody take advantage of the system too. That's absolutely asinine. It's physically impossible for that system to not collapse in on itself. So, you know, it's that's why, like, the Democrats on this issue, it's it's indefensible. Like, that position is ridiculous. It, it, mathematically speaking, it can't work. Yeah, it's it's illiberal, it's self-destructive, and it's anti-American. Absolutely. So another big piece of news from the weekend, switching gears here. Um, we'll, we'll head over to our favorite two uh, Jew-hating communists. In the United States House of Representatives, obviously Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, uh, they they had this 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 big plan to go to Israel and propagandize on the on behalf of terrorists and terrorist sympathizers. Um, so Israel 
um, ban them from from doing so, which is one hilarious and two completely appropriate. And obviously Israel's getting all kinds of backlash and Donald Trump's getting all kinds of bad backlash because of this, mostly because the press and the Democrats are a bunch of Jew hating communists, you know, so they. Yeah, look, they hate Israel. They want to destroy Israel, and they love communism. So these these two bitches are uh, right up their alley. But why the heck do nations have an obligation to let people in that want to kill them? Like honestly, uh, like no I, nobody I think... other no one other than Western democracies would ever be criticized for something like this for common sense. Well, hey man, Gorbachev loved grocery stores. So I mean, there's there's <laughs> a certain degree of that. Like I'm pretty split on the issue. I, I agree with you. Uh, I think Israel is well within their right to do so. But I also think it sets a lot of bad precedents because when you have APAC of all things, and I'm not an APAC fan, and because I said that out loud, I'll never be president. But, um, <laughs> you know, even APAC took the sides of Omar and Tlaib. And ultimately, it's like, you know, these are elected American officials. Listen, you take all this freaking money from us every year, or your best friend. And frankly, I think Israel is not very respectful of the United States in certain ways. I don't really want to get into that right now. But it's like, listen, don't give your enemies ammunition to hit you. Because all they've done is they've made the BDS movement, uh, boycott, divest, whatever. All they've done is given it more attention than ever. I knew about it for years, but I never really knew as much about it. Now I'm hearing it discussed in the regular news cycle and it's getting more airtime than major issues so i think what they did was they enabled their enemies and they gave them more ammunition so i think it was a bad move strategically i think it's funny i honestly think within a few weeks it won't matter but all they've done is they've given omar and talib and a lot of these other jew hating democrats an opportunity to write some very compelling uh fundraiser letters like that's I, look, the thing. I, I don't believe him i don't believe him punching down because even internationally no one cared about Talib and Omar. We want, you know, the liberal media wants you to think that they're beloved around the globe, but they weren't really known until recently. I had um, some friends go over to Europe and now you have Europeans, France, England, you name it, that now know who Omar and Talib are. So I, I don't think it was a good idea. I think you let them come and you let them be stupid and then you use that against them. But I, mean, I, think I see the that whole point. Was, I see that point. I don't like, think I don't there know. was a way they could win, honestly. Yeah, like I, I see your point 100%. And I don't know if it was a strategic I, – I wasn't even meaning if it's like a good strategic move by Israel to, to ban them or whatever. But like I, I, I just think it goes beyond – like obviously those two bitches are extremely anti-Semitic. They, they hate Jews and they want all the Jews in Israel to die. We all know that. But I think it goes beyond anti-Semitism, I think. I think it's about Western civilization in general. Like – it just goes back to this narrative that we in the West are expected just to take it on the chin over and over. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to take it on the chin over and over from radicals, from communists, from anti-Semites, from whoever. And we're never supposed to respond. We're never supposed to defend ourselves. I mean, it's a cloud pivot strategy. Take advantage of the existing democratic institutions, infiltrate, and then implode from the inside. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. So like what, but I mean, do you get my point that like, I, I hate that us in the West are the only people on the planet that just have to take it on the chin over and over. And that's why, like, I, I praised, I don't, I, you know, like, you know, I almost didn't even care if it's a good strategic move or a good PR move. I was like, good. Like, if these bitches want to boycott Israel, Israel should boycott them right back. You know, like, I'm just like, tired of being abused as somebody who respects Western civilization. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think this is that big of a deal. 
long term because you know you've got you know this is one of those moments in history that will be remembered for all posterity. I think by next week, no one will really care. Oh, that's true. So I, yeah. at the end of the day, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I you know there were pros and cons with it. I bet if they had allowed them to come. Uh, I would have a completely different take on the situation. But the thing is, like, the nuance is what's complicated. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So, Remzo, before I let you go, your new book, How to, Su- How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Great title. <laughs> comes out I was gonna ask in a couple like weeks. I-, I love the title. It comes out on August 30th. Um, tell us about it, man. Yeah, so the story comes down to this. How far are you willing to go succeed if you lose yourself in the process? It's a historic novel that takes place in today's day and age, but also has a parallel story that takes you all the way back to 1959 through the early 70s. And it essentially follows two people. One's a fictional character named Art Brown, who's a political consultant in Virginia. And the other character is uh, pulled straight out of history, America's biggest rights villain, George Wallace, who during my research I discovered is probably the quintessential politician and America's most influential loser of the 20th century. So it follows both men as they start off in humble beginnings and they eventually have to make decisions which will ultimately go ahead and impact not only their legacies, but what happens with the country. So it jumps around American history, shows some areas of politics that you don't often see on the news, and it asks a fundamental question. What is gaining power and influence and succeeding if you lose your soul in the process? That's awesome, man. I can't wait to read it. I, I know you've been getting a ton of great feedback for it, which is awesome, man. So uh, can't can't wait to read the book. Um, you sent me the manuscript, and I did not have time to read it yet because <laughs> I'm always unprepared for this podcast. I apologize for that, but I can't <laughs> wait to read it. Where, where can everybody pre-order it? And then uh, on the 30th, where can everybody get it? So pre-orders are actually locked. I had an Indiegogo campaign, which we are able to uh, fund 122% of, so it was nice. perfect. Uh, it'll be out in uh, ebook and print on uh, Amazon.com as well as Barnes & Noble online. And the audiobook, voiced by my good friend Johnny Rocket Adams, will be out in October of this year. Nice. Nice. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, dude. Can't wait for the book. Your last one, Stay Away from the Libertarians, was fantastic. I'm sure this one is going to be great as well. Um, best of luck. Hopefully you sell 100,000 copies and get rich. And, uh, you know, once you're a rich and famous author, you can still come back uh, on the show and, uh, you know. <laughs> meander around with the little people like myself you know <laughs> so where can I'm everybody follow you online at the end of the day yeah man amen brother so we're gonna everybody follow you online and keep in touch and all that good shit hey you can go ahead and follow me everywhere instagram facebook uh twitter by just hey remso it's just at hey remso and do me a favor also follow me on, on the washington times opinion twitter that's at wash times op-ed washington times opinion on twitter at wash times op-ed Everybody follow Remzo. He's great. I'm sure we'll have him on uh, very, very soon. Uh, let's be honest. He's on every couple months anyway. So I'm sure you guys will be hearing <laughs> from Remzo again very soon. Everybody check out the new book, uh, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, out on the 30th. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.